0: this works okay we're live hi this is william ramsey welcome to william ramsey investigates on today's show i have a very special guest a returning guest his name is charles upton and we talked uh, about three months ago about a book a fascinating book about the ufo phenomenon titled the alien disclosure deception the metaphysics of social engineering and you go back and listen to that very well received discussion but he just published a book um june 21st 2022. But a subject I'm interested in, and uh, you can tell that Charles has years of study and understanding of this really global religion. He knows very important people, Houston Smith. Some people might have heard his name. He was a compiler of kind of global religions. But the title of this book that he just published, published is The Way Forward for Perennialism, After the Antinomianism of Frithof Schoen and his other titles are The System of Antichrist, Truth and Falsehood in Postmodernism and the New Age. Also, Vectors of the Counter-Tradition, The Course and Destiny of Inverted
1: Spiritual initiation actually. So.
0: Counter-Initiation, sorry. And then also Dugan against Dugan, Traditionalist Analysis of the Fourth Political Theory. And some of the names that we talked about last time popped up in this book, too. Uh, Renan, uh, and so, Gwennon, sorry. And some of these other people who influenced Frutthof Schoen. But Charles can talk more about that. I tried to get through this. Uh, there's there's a lot of knowledge. You can see a lot of wisdom in this book. But uh, I'm glad to have him back. So, Charles Upton, welcome back. Well,
1: to the show. Glad to be back. And um, this book has been a long time coming. It was about to be published a year ago. Then a bunch of other stuff happened. Probably COVID was part of it. And so, which I didn't get. But you know, we all got it when we're another. So.
0: so, can you kind of? I mean, you said you've studied this character who's in the title for shop shown for 35 years maybe just some terminology what is your definition of perennialism what's the differences of perennialist thought traditionalist and what why did you feel like half of this book is a critique of Shone. so you see his beneficial metaphys- metaphysics but also you don't agree with some of his things but maybe that's a long question but maybe you can just start with some basic
1: Uh, definitions. Who was
0: shown? What is perennialism?
1: Yes, I will do that as long as as I have to unplug my phone, which I already unplugged. And now it's ringing, and I don't know how that happens. You unplug the phone, it rings. Okay. um, Well, perennialism uh, in the simplest way to say it, it's, it's the belief that Uh, God has sent more than one divine revelation to the human race uh, over the long history of religion and that more than one of these can be in force at the same time. In other words, perennialists don't say, well, now that Islam has come, all the other religions are invalid or as Christians have said, now that Christianity has come, all the earlier religions are invalid. We don't quite say that. Um, uh, That's that's one part of it but it it, it it has to be clearly differentiated from certain things which uh this might remind you of um the religions cannot be syncretized we don't do syncretism which means you don't take bits and pieces of different religions and throw them together and try to make you know a a, a nice jigsaw you know, picture that's, that's bigger and more interesting than each of the religions combined, you know, each of the religions by itself, considering each of them has part of the truth, but the others have other parts of the truth and you put it all together and you get the whole truth. And, uh, that's syncretism. And that, 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 that's not what perennialism as I follow it, uh, is after perennialism as, as of Schoen said, and I must say, I'm not simply criticizing of Schoen. I do have criticism, but, but, uh, I use his ideas at every point in my book as well because I think he, you know, achieved some wonderful things um, in his metaphysics. And Fritjof uh, Schuon says um, e- every each religion contains all religion or all all the religions or let's say all religion uh, because the truth is one. So um, every every religion is 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 its own particular form, but that that form contains everything the human being needs for the spiritual life, if you know how to find everything that's within that form, which is not necessarily easy, but it can be done. And uh, all, of, all of the religions are, are ways back from the multiplicity of existence on this earth to the unity of God. And the, the, the paths they take are discrete, and they can't be mixed, but they're all going to the same... Uh, to the same goal because they have all uh, originally been created by or sent out by that one absolute reality. And so each of them in its own way is a way of return to that absolute reality. So that's what, that's what perennialism is in a nutshell. Now there are different ideas. Uh, there is a perennialism which is associated with the name Aldous Huxley and Gerald Hurd. And this is not quite what the traditionalist school, who are perennialists, uh, are are doing. It's similar, but but it has uh, it has definite um, differences and certain drawbacks from the traditionalist standpoint. Now, the traditionalist school itself—oh, I should say perennialism—you know—it's been around perhaps forever. <laughs> um, the, the, it, it's, it's similar to the Hindu idea of the Sanatana Dharma, the, the primordial religion. Um, there are passages in the Quran that, that are in, entirely in line with perennialism. It, it says, you know, uh, w- we accept the other revelations, which at, at this point were Judaism, Christianity, um, and Sabaeanism, which might or might not be what we call Zoro- Zoroastrianism now. And you know, we accept these revelations and, uh, as valid. So that's, that's in the Quran. Um, there are other passages which seem to contradict that, but that's, that's another uh, issue and it, it gets a little involved. But anyway, uh, uh, there are Renaissance philosophers like Marcilio Ficino and Pico della Mirandola, who are, uh, basically wrote from a perennialist perspective, the the, uh, the religion Manichaeism was a perennialist religion. I mean, it had elements from Zoroastrianism and um, Buddhism and Christianity. On the other hand, uh, it it had the drawback of being pretty syncretistic. So um, you you could call it a perennialist religion from a, from a certain standpoint, but from from another way, it does not fulfill what I consider to be the real definition of perennialism, which is says that each religion is unique and complete in itself and and gives the believer everything he or she needs to live the spiritual life. So anyway, the traditionalist school of perennialism or of comparative metaphysics or comparative religion uh, essentially is considered to have been founded by a French philosopher, René Guénon, uh, who died around 1950, maybe 51, I forget the exact year. Um, And uh, another, uh, sometimes considered to be co-founder, was Ananda Kentish Kumaraswamy, who was uh, an Anglo-Indian historian of traditional art from Sri Lanka, who ended up writing on metaphysics as well. And uh, other names in this school are uh, Titus Burkhart, Martin Lings, Marco Pallas. Um, uh, and, uh, the most prominent, uh, figure in this, uh, traditionalist school after Gainon passed away was Fritz Schoen, who passed away, I believe in 1998. And, uh, he did an amazing, uh, work in, in, in his many books of, of bringing the deepest truths of metaphysics write out uh, to uh, anyone who who can follow his writings. They're 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 a little difficult, but they're not as hard as Genon, I'll have to say. Um, and uh, so he he uh, he started. Uh, uh, he, he actually his path um, was Sufism, and and he um, basically uh, his. Sufi Sheikh or his Sufi leader, you know she- Sheikh, is essentially the Sufi word for Guru. What we call a Guru, pretty much, um, was a Sheikh Ahmed Al Alawi of uh, Algeria. Uh, and um, and that's you. That's your tradition as well. Your yeah, tradition. that's that's my that's my lineage as well. So you know, after I got what I could from Shu and I said, you know, let let's let's see what looks like. If I go toward where he got it from, you know, there are there are questions, though, about whether he actually was faithful to that tradition because he was he was very creative and, you know, went off on his own and developed his own form of uh, of spirituality, uh, which might or might not be legitimately called Sufism. In any case, Schoen did an amazing thing. i mean if 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 you're there's one guy we, we used to have a little my wife and I, a little study group on virtue of Schoen with one or two people, you know and when we lived in California, there's one one guy who was uh, it was a high school high school teacher and uh, a young guy and 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 he he just loved these books and he said, you know these these are like the cliff notes for for metaphysics, you know. I don't know if people still know the term cliff notes. You know those those little pamphlets. I remember
0: it. I don't know if my the younger people do. Yeah, the little yellow books. But (laughs) if you want to
1: read all War and Peace, you 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 get you get War and Peace for Dummies. You know, in this pamphlet, and then you can you can figure out how to write a book report without actually writing reading the book. That's what they were. But uh, you know, they they, they, they sort of it's certainly not metaphysics for dummies, but it is metaphysics made simple in some ways. Uh, not everybody would agree with that but but the, there, there's so much in in those books that that at least for me they just completely changed my perspective on um, on reality it was an amazing effect. I mean n- no writer has influenced me like Richard Schuun. And what's interesting is uh, you know having gone through what at the time was called the spiritual revolution of the 1960s, where not only, you know, was there sex, drugs, rock and roll, LSD, and all of this. But it, all these religions and belief systems were being thrown at everybody. Eastern religions, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Western mysticism, uh, Native American spirituality, people were involved in, you know, which was finally, you know, resulted in Carlos Castaneda and all this. And uh, what's interesting, you look at Sean; these were his interests, too. He was interested, you know, he he...
0: He kind of predated the whole '60s movement, right?
1: Well, I mean, he, really, I mean he, was, he, he was going along. He was going along parallel to it, but he didn't know about it. I mean, I, I as far as I can tell, he just dismissed all those those hippies. You know, he he didn't was not interested in in what they were doing. He he probably thought they were all deviant. You know, but then you look at another from another standpoint, and there were a lot of similarities. You know, I mean. Drugs and rock and roll, no, sex, yeah, Uh, you know, uh, elements of of, of sort of a spiritual eroticism, you know, in in his uh, method of teaching, and um, he was, uh, like the hippies, he had problems with organized religion, even though, you know, he, he spoke highly of orthodoxy, he also was very uncomfortable with it, because he very much wanted his own independence, you know, he didn't, didn't like popes telling him what to do and things like this. Um, he um, was very close to the Native Americans. He was initiated into the, the Sioux tribe, and I believe either the Crow or the Blackfoot, but definitely the Sioux, uh, and um, certainly interested in Eastern religion, certainly interested in Western mysticism. And his, um,
0: he had extraordinary output, too. Right? Oh, yeah. He was he, putting a book and book and
1: he book. wrote a library of books, you know. Yes. And, so
0: on a lot of origin so he was kind of before Houston Smith. I think Houston Smith ended up writing an intro to one of his books, but he yeah. had an interesting background. He went from Switzerland, Switzerland. I think his mom was French, and then ended up in the states. And
1: yeah, the latter yeah. part of that. Though. Yeah, and in Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana, where, where some of his followers still reside, and uh, there, when he more or less retired, he retired at a point of certain scandals because he had, you know. He had a guru meltdown of the classic form that we're so uh, used to nowadays. Um, and, you know, that there were, you know, because he he held nude dance events. And, of course, that's going to create, if you want to ask for it, you know, you could just say, I am a Muslim and a Sufi sheik, and yet I run nude dance events. That doesn't quite gel, you know. So I'm, I'm not saying that, that. Uh, you know he was necessarily corrupt i'm simply saying he was rather unwise to say the least and and so after that you know there were scandals and, and people um you know some people quit and then he basically he, he retired and he said his major representatives well now you're all shakes you know you, i'm retiring so martin lings in england uh ran a, a branch of, of of his uh Marian it's called a Sufi order for a while. Uh, although he was already quite advanced in years and, and died soon after Shun. <clears throat> and then um, the, the the one um, follower of Shun who who is still alive and and still teaching is uh, Sayyid Hossein Nazir, uh, and an, uh, Iranian uh, who uh, lived in this has lived in this country for quite a while. You know, he was part of the government of the Shah of Iran before the uh, revolution. And then, of course, he had to skedaddle and he skedaddled to uh, George Washington University in D.C., where he's been teaching religion ever since. And he's he's done himself some wonderful works on the the history of Sufism and uh, various aspects of Islam. So so, uh, this got this got a lot of us and uh who are us i i think there were there were more than god have been more than one person who, who went through this the uh spiritual revolution of the 60s and the hippie thing who ended up saying well this is perfect now now I, i'm middle-aged if not getting elderly and i you know i can't party as hardy as i used to but i don't want to lose touch with uh with some of the things that 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 you know, I saw or was exposed to in those years. And so this seems like a much more elevated, intellectually rigorous um, and, you know, neater kind of uh, approach to some of the same themes. Um, it turned out not to be as neat as we thought just reading the books, you know, <laughs> but that's a whole other story. So,
0: But Sean's real benefit, you say you, I mean, your central insight is the T-U-R. transcendent, transcendent, transcendent transcendent unity religion.
1: Yeah, Yeah, the transcendent unity of religions, and I forget if if Gaynon used that um, phrase, but he had essentially the same concept, but I think the phrase itself is from Shun, and it's basically, the way I interpret that is saying, okay, you know, we all have some idea of the unity of religions, you know, in the interfaith movement, Tends to say the the religions need to be united in some way. You know, however, clearly or vaguely they define this, um, because if the religions are united, uh, there will be less conflict between religious communities. And it, which, uh, I think, we're just now seeing the idea that, that that if we can have a single global system that will unite everybody, this will prevent conflict. No. I mean, I think the, the the war in the Ukraine is 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 the the, the refutation, the permanent refutation of that idea, because there're going to be differences, you know, and the differences have to be allowed for, and they can't be glossed over in uh, for 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 the purpose of everybody getting along. Um, so, basically, we understand unity of religions, but what's a transcendent unity of religions? What makes it transcendent? Well, it is true that if you look into the mystical centers, and, and I would consider the mystical or the metaphysical to be the center, uh, intellectually speaking anyway, of all of the religions. And if you get into the mystical centers of the religions, they get the doctrines get to be more and more alike. For example, the Hindus have a doctrine of, you know, Brahman is their word for you know, God as absolute reality. And there's uh, saguna brahman, which means brahman with attributes. There's nirguna brahman, which means brahman without attributes. This is exactly the same as in Sufism. Allah would be, is God with attributes, because Allah is the synthesis of all the names of God. And Allah without attributes would be, uh, a God without attributes would be al which means uh, the unknowable, Absolute essence of God, and, and that's this exactly the same as God versus Godhead, in Christianity, and uh, perhaps in in Kabbalah. You know the, the Sephiroth. Uh, uh, you know the, the the seven. You know emanated aspects of God versus the Ein Sof, which is the unknowable essence of God. It's the same, exactly the same doctrine appears in almost every religion, even in the Lakota and even in the Sioux religion. Where uh, God is equivalent to Wakantanka as father, and Godhead is equivalent to Wakantanka as grandfather. Exactly the same doctrine. Um, So, but when you look at the totality of the religions, they never become identical. Each religion has its own. you know, essential a, a, a essential a quality. I mean, you, you, Christianity has to be trinitarian, even though, you know, it, it accepts that God is one, credo in unum Deum. I, we believe, I believe in one God, but but God manifests or 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 is understood as trinitarian, which is a difficult mystery in Christianity. But that there it is. Whereas in Islam, God is purely one, and trinitarianism is frowned upon. Uh, except certain Sufi writers like Ibn Arabi have a kind of Trinitarianism, not the same as the Christian, but, uh, you know. So anyway, but, but in other words, the religions never become one. They, they never become equivalent to each other because each, it's its own particular quality and essence and, 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 and methodology and, you know, a, a appealing to... Or, or, or existing to serve or existing to guide a particular kind of human being. Uh, y- usually, traditionally, the different kinds of human beings were separated by ethnic group, by nation, by language. Now things are getting more mixed up. So more people can, you know, somebody like me can, can, can look at Islam and say, you know, I, I need the simplicity of the divine unity. And uh, even though I, you know, I don't know Arabic and I've never been to the Mideast, I can still do that because, uh, you know, lots, lots of different kinds of people are being thrown together in this world. So the religions become, you know, various spiritual possibilities that you choose, um, not simply the religion you were born into, which is what it almost always was. Um, so, OK, they never become the same. So you you you're seeing you're seeing the 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 growing similarity of the different doctrines when you get closer to the mystical center of the different religions, that proves the unity of the religions, but the fact that they never become perfectly the same, shows that that unity is transcendent, that that you never get you know to to a you know, a, a big meta-religion that somebody might, might might do a theology based upon a syncretistic theology based upon all the different religions and come up with one big religion, that is disallowed because the religions are unique, which means they only meet in God, in the absolute. They meet beyond comparison. <laughs> God is beyond comparison. He's beyond compare. He's, he is the unique, and, and the uniqueness of the religions meet only in the uniqueness and the transcendence of God. So they all,
0: they all get to that point where you learn all those things, and then you're into metaphysics, mystery, the unknowable, and they all end up at that same spot,
1: right? Well, you know, it's an, an unknowable. Is it unknowable? Well, we, we we also talk, the Sufis talk about matrifah, which is knowledge, and there's matrifah ma, 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 to Allah, which is the knowledge of. God, and then supposedly a deeper knowledge is marfa, the nafs, which is the knowledge of the self. And strangely enough, the Hindus have a very similar distinction. They have uh, Brahma Vidya, which is knowledge of God, and Atma Vidya, which is knowledge of the self. They have that as well. You know, uh, so do, do can you know it? Well, the little me, you know. Uh, trying to look and see, let's see, can I know God? Let's see, let's imagine God. I think I can figure God out. No, you can't. God is infinitely beyond anything you can possibly imagine. And yet the knowledge of God is not just closed. It's very strange. Um, The Sufis say um, no one knows Allah but Allah, but there's a mysterious way that you can arrive at God's knowledge of himself in you whatever that may mean. So it's not like you can't know God, but it's like you can't encompass God. You can't sit back here as your little self saying, I can figure out what this infinite reality is. You cannot do that. Yet there is a knowledge that that, that comes at some point. And the question is, is that my knowledge or is that God's knowledge? You know?
0: Right. So you have, yeah you have similarities, unanimity at the very top of these, maybe the great three religions, even including Hinduism, uh, certain similarities, but you also, I think you said that even the kind of exoterization of the esoteric kind of can be, can fall under Gua definitions of a pseudo-tradition or counter-tradition, right? So, So in some ways, the what I mean by that is that some of this esoteric stuff that becomes knowledgeable uh, can also be misinterpreted.
1: Right? Oh yeah, I, I mean the, the whole idea of of you know that the esoteric doctrines are for the few and they're to be kept under wraps and you know they're they're Clinton, you know, you know don't 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 blab about the mysteries. Well, the the, the fact that they can be in and very often have been misinterpreted with terrible consequences, is the reason that that seal is put on the mysteries. On the other hand, since the 60s, everybody dropped acid. The seal has been broken. Now, you know, you can't say don't blab about esoteric mysteries because every kind of blabbing that could possibly be conceived of has been done. So what we have to do is try to get it right and also try... You know, to understand that whatever we say or whatever we believe, no matter how much truth there may be in that, no matter how important it may be to, to enunciate those truths at one time at a particular time, there's always more to the mystery of the divine than anything we can put into words. we got to realize that. But I'm afraid uh, every, everybody has talked about the mysteries and all, all the, you know, I mean, the... the, the uh, Futuhat al-Makiya was, you know, vast. I think it's maybe 12 volumes of, of Sufi secrets that were written by Ibn al-Arabi under direct inspiration, as he said, by Allah. And, you know, it's a vast you know, ocean of, of, of mysteries. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> some people have said, though, well, you know, the, 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 the uh, Futuhat al-Makiya this, this, this great work of of, of sufi mysteries uh, it's uh it, it's only it's only for the arifs you know for, for for the Gnostics, for for the ones who inherently know the spiritual truth and on the other hand the arifs don't need to read it in the book because they already know it whereas for everybody else you'll never figure it out so so why was this book ever written you know uh some people say that perhaps kind of tongue-in-cheek but that does show one of the paradoxes of trying to talk about the, the divine mysteries. So.
0: Right. And you kind of also juxtapose the kind of authentic perennialism of your view that may, uh, against this whole kind of new global order, this new global one world religion, this drive yeah. to, can you talk about that?
1: Well, yeah. Uh, if, if, if you look in, into the interfaith movement and of who, who, who has been behind the interfaith movement, the interfaith movement is, is not, you know, just various religious believers deciding they want to get along better and phoning each other up and says, you know, let's let's have a potluck and talk about and just get to know each other. There, there, there is uh, there's a lot of money and influence coming from governments, corporations, think tanks um, uh, to, 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 to have an influence in the interfaith movement, because uh, the global elites understand, you know, that, that if billions of people are under the, you know, basically they're, they're getting their whole worldview and their morality and, and, and their imperatives of, of action from this religion, well, I mean, how, how can the global elites who want to rule the world, how can they let that religion alone? You know, they got to control it because it, it controls, as far as they see, you know, the, 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 the mentality of billions of people. So let's, hey, we can't let these religions just operate on their own. And, and so there's a great um, attempt to co-opt the religions on every, on every conceivable level can see that I mean, the Church Oh, today. the
0: Christian religion here in the States to me is just completely yeah. co-opted I mean
1: well I mean in, in different ways I mean I mean yeah. there, there's a certain co-optation that, that went down with Vatican II, uh, the Second Vatican Council with the Catholic Church and then of the, the course that they're, they're the you know political evangelical political uh, groups you know who, who you know are 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 following a lot of money that's coming in. And uh, But it, it even goes, I mean, that the intelligence agencies, I, I think that the CIA has got at least one guy in every Sufi order, of mm-hmm. which there are many, in the world. And in every esoteric organization in the world. You know, people, the, the, the spy agencies love esoteric organizations because, especially if they're international, they're semi-clandestine. And they follow their uh, their leader, their sheikh or their guru, um, you know, implicitly. And so this makes it these organizations very useful to the spy agencies because, you know, that they 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 can travel, you know, throughout the world and recognize each other with a secret handshake or whatever it is. And if if they can, you know, place a uh, a sheikh or a guru in a particular organization. Uh, than, what you know, he, he can, he can spread his orders throughout his whole network or, or, or around the around the world, and boy, just just think how spies can use that both f- for for gathering information and for spreading particular ideas or attitudes that the powers that be want to spread throughout the world. Now, I'm not saying that's what all these groups are, but uh, this is what organizations like the CIA or British intelligence or Russian intelligence would like those groups to be. You know? Right, no doubt. No. So, you know, so it's, it's, there's an awful lot of interference with and, and attempt to control the religions more than people can conceive of, usually, unless they've looked at. It. So, so that, that the way this works, two of the ways these, this works um, in, uh, in like North America and, and Western Europe. Uh, you will have an interfaith movement that that says let all the religions come together and be friends and smile at each other and shake hands and and have and have events together and um, and let them not proselytize and let them not you know emphasize their major doctrines let not, let the Christians not emphasize the divinity of Christ because that will uh, you know uh, offend the Muslims and not let the Muslims not, emphasize the uncreated nature of the Qur'an, because that will uh, get under the Christian skin. So we just, you know, any doctrines that are really central to the uniqueness of of those religions need to be soft-pedaled, because the idea that is that prevents conflict and prevents, you know, bad feeling and bad blood. So the religions get together and work to weaken each other in order to get along, you know that's one thing that happens the same people that are that are are uh, sponsoring that kind of interfaith movement when it comes to other areas outside Western Europe and North America you know when, when it comes to the Muslim world and and plenty of other places in the world what is done is uh, Conflict is 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 fomented de- deliberately by the same people who want to bring interfaith peace, in you know in the homeland, you know outside in 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 the uh, quasi-colonial hinterlands, they want to create conflict between the religions, with you know false flag operations and every everything you can imagine. I was giving this view uh, in, in uh, 20, 2013 at our local mosque here in Lexington, Kentucky, because we were starting uh, what came to be uh, an international Muslim interfaith peace movement called the Covenants Initiative, which I can talk about a little later. Anyway, I was starting that, and we were starting that, and, and I, I was giving this idea to, to some of the people in the mosque, and then someone spoke up who was uh, Undoubtedly Pakistani because he had an accent from the Indian subcontinent. He says, he says I, know what you, "I know what you mean because in my hometown, uh, it was there would be these nights in which someone we don't know who would uh, throw a, a slaughtered cow into a Hindu temple. Those cows are sacred to Hindus, right? And a slaughtered pig into." Um, a Muslim mosque, mosque, because pigs are considered to be unclean animals, the Muslims, and and he said predictably like clockwork the next day there would be Hindu-Muslim riots. Now, if you think about it, there would be no reason for either the Hindus or the Muslims to do that. Obviously, it has to be third parties that want to create conflict between those religions, and th- th- this is, has been a a, a method. Uh, uh, of, of colonialism f- for a long time um, it, w- it was used by the British in India, which, which is is to create conflict between the religions so they do not get together and turn against the, the, uh, the colonial administration right. They fight I mean, they're not going to be fighting the British, you know right, it's
0: almost like the contest today against the global elites really was the British colonialists were the global elites of
1: that time, right yeah early century, We inherited Isis. And people like that, the Wahhabis. We inherited those from British intelligence. They were uh, uh, supporting the, the Wahhabis, who, who later became, through various you know changes, it became ISIS and, and Al Qaeda. They were supporting them before World War One as an insurgency against the Ottoman Empire. And uh, so, so, the whole method of doing that, and, and a lot of the contacts, and a lot of the you know the whole the whole package that, that later became uh, and there, there was U.S. support for ISIS certainly uh, that became that uh, we inherited from uh, from the British.
0: So. And our attitudes were the very same. The U.S. A lot of those things that happened after uh, 2001 were very much false flags, definitely trying to rile up. Yeah. Civilizational war they talk about it, Huntington all these characters and some of those conflicts, the religious conflicts there between the Muslims and the Hindus or some of the most savage uh, attacks, nothing like even in Western Europe like just bloodshed led to Pakistan and India actually being created yeah
1: yeah like now, and that, now they're both you know nuclear powers too so and, and still, still you know,
0: kind of similar like still have that animosity towards each, each other yeah. So it's just one of these ideas of like how these conflicts are manipulated unless people think that these religions are always fighting against each other, There's internal conflicts, too. You can talk about the Hundred Years War or some of the internal Muslim uh, Sharia,
1: uh, Sunni conflicts. There's been a huge amount of internal conflict within Islam, definitely. Uh, What's interesting is, is the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, when he and the Muslims decided or were told by Allah that they had now or they were now allowed to leave, Medina and go somewhere else where they weren't being persecuted because they were seriously persecuted in Medina. So they said, well, um, we need to find somewhere else to go. And there was um, an oasis called Yathrib, which later became Medina. And the the, uh, people who lived at Yathrib uh, went to the prophet and said, uh, uh, come and rule over us because we are... uh, you know, various religions were Jews, where I think there were some Christians were, you know, pagans and this, and we're all, we're always fighting. So what we need is a law and a lawgiver from the outside to come in and make peace between us. And this is hard for us to imagine. Why would anybody ask a lawgiver to come and lay down the law? Well, you know, it, it, in, in, in earlier times, it was, it was understood that chaos was a problem. Chaos and constant conflict, like we're getting in this country now, was not freedom and was not a good way to live. And and there needed to be an you know an outside or objective or higher law that could say, okay, you know, everybody lay down your arms. You know, this this is the law. And 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 it had to be somebody from from outside, uh, you know, that 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 locale because. In those days, everybody was in a tribe, and and if you killed somebody from another tribe, that whole tribe had to go to war with your tribe, and so you had feuds which would go on and on and on. There was no way under under the tribal system to get out of that unless another element was uh, introduced, and uh, and 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 some of the the, tri- the tribes people got tired of the constant killing each other. Now now they killed my cousin. Now I have to go kill some of them. You know, let's let's do it a, a different way. So they invited the prophet to come in, and he he did this amazing document called the Constitution of Medina, which was incredibly advanced, and and it, it gave, you know, equal rights to all to all the religions. It gave rights to women that they didn't have before, you know, and and according to uh, some scholars, um, Muhammad had set things up. And it didn't, this did not work out. He had set things up so if his sunnah, if his way of doing things, and if his rulings had been followed by the Muslims, in a few generations, uh, slavery would have, dis- would have disappeared because all the slaves would have been freed. You know, it's, it's, it's not like emancipation at one time, which is another way to do it. It certainly created problems when it was done in this country, but that's a way to do it. And another way to do it is, is to say, this is how slavery will slowly um, die by attrition, you know. So uh, some scholars will say that, that that's, what, uh, that's what his intent was. So anyway, um, and also Muhammad made amazing treaties called the covenants, uh, covenants with mostly Christian communities, but also Jewish communities and Zoroastrian communities, peoples of the book. What he wanted to do in Medina is create a federation of, different, of the different religions and, and different peoples of the book. They considered to be, you know, those who had true revelations. Um, and, you know, it, it, uh, you, that was his initial intent. You could see how it didn't work, finally, you know because of internal dissension, because of external attack. But uh, what we did with the Covenants Initiative, Dr. John Andrew Morrow uh, is the um, author of a book called The Covenants of the Prophet Muhammad with the Christians of the World. And he did amazing um, research on on retranslating, rediscovering, and the, the, the treaties that, that Muhammad made with the different religious groups of his time and and they're so especially with the Christians they, they are so generous and and, and they show su- such a, a sense of spiritual brotherhood with the Christians, although very clearly saying we're not Christians. we don't do what the Christians do. we don't we don't believe in, in that Jesus was the Son of God and yet, the Christians believe in God, and, and, and so they are our brothers, even if we differ on an, um, on a point as important as that. So this was all in the covenants. And uh, uh, these covenants sort of went down in, in, in Muslim history, and they became documents which later administrations drew upon. Finally, they became the basis of the... Uh, official policy of the ottoman empire toward religious minorities and uh so they were certainly not always followed uh you know very often they were violated but when they were violated they still existed for the for the people who, who felt that they were being mistreated to say look here are the covenants you know uh let, let's let's return to uh to what our prophet wanted and sometimes that worked you know that's that's the best you can say but um so. minimize
0: conflict, definitely minimize conflict. I think you had yeah, to pay the jizya, you had to it, kind of pay a tax, right? But there was a, <laughs> you know, there was like some some communities thought they had a good in the, the Middle East that weren't Muslims under the Muslims because they got protected, they just paid a tax. Some Jews especially in the Middle Ages, I think in Spain, if I remember correctly
1: but like the christians <laughs> yeah, yeah. the
0: christians made sure the jews had to forcibly convert which i don't oh, think yeah. the Muslims oh yeah. yeah. i mean
1: the, the, when 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 the jews were expelled from spain and when they were expelled from europe where did they go they went to the ottoman empire who would accept them and allow, let them be jews which which was basically un, under the the theory uh, first enunciated in the prophet's covenants so
0: Right, and isn't that really the gist of this book is really to get back to that point where these covenants can work together and the religions can dial back the conflict?
1: Well, and, okay, it, yeah, and the, just... the idea that, that the religions do not understand sufficiently that they are all under attack by the same forces of, of uh, globalization. Now, what, what you see with, with, with what, what Russia wants to do, uh, if, if indeed... Uh, Putin is following the theories put forward by Alexander Dugin, his court philosopher, um, is is do something with the religions a bit more like the Ottoman Empire, you know, which 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 is keep keep the religions in separate ghettos. I mean, these were called millets in the Ottoman Empire, and to uh, the positive aspect of these, were the religion within that community was allowed. Its entire entire tradition, and, and, and it you know did not have to, to uh, to curtail its tradition at all. But it was it was not looked you know the the idea of the religions proselytizing was not looked upon very positively because uh, you know the, the religions were supposed to keep to themselves, and so they became very. It's one of the reasons they became so ethnically. Um, you know, ethnically, ethnically identified is because uh, of that a tendency to to want to keep the religion separately separate. So, what what I'm seeing in the works of Alexander Dugin is, is he's envisioning something like that too. The problem is you you see under the Soviet system, and this is I'm sure true under the present system of Russia today is whatever religions um, are allowed to operate, and, and as far as I know. This may not be the whole list, but according to the Russian Constitution, the established religions are Eastern Orthodox Christianity, not Catholicism, not yeah. Evangelical Christianity, Eastern Orthodox, Buddhism, uh, Islam, and Shamanism. And mm-hmm. there may be another one I forgot. Oh, Judaism. Yeah, these these uh, religions are accepted and allowed w- within the Russian Federation, but. Without doubt, the uh, the patriarchs and you know the chief rabbis and you know wh- whoever uh, are, are the leaders of the, these religions are either appointed by the state or very much under the power of the state. So the different religions are heavily controlled by the state, but allowed as sort of a domestic freedom. So, um, th- th- this is this is not uh, ideal either. <laughs> um, so, what's your what's your idea? What's your ideal? What do you think? Well, the it, it, in the in the West, in the West, we what we have is a major attack on religion in so many ways. Um, the the Catholic Church lost most of its substance during Vatican II, which is essentially this is what the globalist powers that be wanted out of the Catholic Church, and they got it. You know, they, they, they reformed the Church uh, according to their image of what would be useful useful to them, and this required Catholicism to jettison a number of its, of its most central doctrines, and even its morality. So uh, the Muslims wouldn't go along with that, and so they, they had to be uh, broken down with military action. This is what the globalists are doing to the religions. Uh, and we, we we can we can include the Chinese that this is another kind of globalism. It's, we're going to have a, Rus- a Sino-Russian globalism as opposed to a Western globalism. But it's all globalism of one kind or another. And of course that the, the Chinese got, got rid of the Tibetan Buddhists that they, they uh, are going after the Uyghur Muslims. Now there's now us uh, a worry that uh, uh, the Christians, uh, particularly the Catholics, are going to be persecuted in China. Uh, Pope Francis uh, made this terrible concession to the Chinese government saying, okay, you know, the Chinese communist government will have the right to appoint Catholic bishops.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Will that satisfy them? No. That was just, you know, give them, the, give them an inch and now they're taking the mile. And, you know, we're, we're going to see a lot of persecution of Christians as well as Muslims in, in China.
0: And there's, but, ton, there's hundreds of millions of Christians in China too. So yeah, yeah. it's a
1: significant part of the population. Yeah. yeah. So, so what, what we have, um, at least in the West, at least in North America, the religions need to understand that they have common enemies. Um, and not, not, not just, Communist China certainly. Communist China is not our first problem here. There's a problem here. It's not our first problem. Um the you know the, the, the enemies of religion are liberal ecumenism, which 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 destroys all all the, the uh the particularity and uniqueness of the religions, um militant secularism, you know, militant atheism, which says, you know, religion is bunk. And mm-hmm. then... And why do you believe
0: it and I hate you, right? Like, you're not allowed to have it. That's the whole militancy. Of you're not allowed to have...
1: Separate right. beliefs,
0: that, yeah. whatever. Whatever, like their
1: Darwinism or whatever. Well, you know, I just saw an article on, on the computer which said, uh, you know, re- recently 10% fewer people in than the last time they, they took the poll in the United States now believe in God, which is a big drop in like, Short time, uh, but there was an article which said um, one of the reasons for this is that people don't are not following what science is seeing. I mean, more and more scientists are are are, are seeing there's got to be something like a creator. There's got to be something like intelligent design. I mean, really, um, Darwinism isn't isn't as solid uh, on, on its throne as it used to be, and and more and more scientists are are beginning to question. Classical Darwinism and are beginning to look at, uh, you know, the, the, after all, if, if, if we're finding that reality is essentially information more than it is little, little particles of matter, you know, it's actually information. And once you get information, you have to say, well, where did the information come from? If there's a book, who wrote the book, you know? And, and more and more scientists are, from their different standpoints, coming to, uh, to 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 ask questions like this. But this this has not filtered through to uh, the populace because you have, uh, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, <laughs> people, right. got,
0: Bill Nye, right?
1: Yeah, He's are are him. are are you know just you know maintaining sort of the old scientific ideology, which is really getting on shaky ground these days. So um, and and then of course the other the other danger to religions is when people uh, 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 who, who have a deep faith but not 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 a very wide perspective uh, feel that their religion is being threatened, then th- they become militant and you know that they 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 look at the other religions as as enemies, which certainly the globalists will uh, will support that view. Because never are the religions supposed to look together and say, wait a minute, the globalists are are, our common enemies. They they, they want all of us to disappear. It's much easier to say, look at those people, look at those people at Moscow right there. Those are your enemies. And see, you know, or look at the people in the synagogue or the church. Those are your enemies. That's the way people think, you know, unfortunately, because it's very hard to get a a comprehensive view of what's going on in a crazy world like this. But, what I'm saying is the religions need to recognize common enemies and, and, and just say, let's not look at each other even to try to get along, much less to hate each other. Let's let's look together at the forces that we all have to contend with that are attacking all of us. And that will give us a real basis for alliance without having to, 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 to you know, to— and- uh, Try to homogenize all our doctrines. and Right.
0: The they're going to homogenize us all into this model yeah. of the WEF. That's what. That's really what they're trying to do through yeah. undercutting religion, any religion. They will make sure that you are a kind of neo-feudal slave, never own anything, and eat bugs, and your life has no meaning. And they'll tell you you're happy. So they'll propagandize yeah. you. That's really that enemy. That's really what religion fights against either from a Christian perspective, probably, and I'm not a Muslim, probably from a Muslim perspective, even Judaism, it's antagonistic to that globalization, new world order, neo-feudalism. Yeah,
1: yeah. and and if there were, were any way for the religions to get together and see that they have in the globalists, one form or another of globalism, uh, uh, truly a common enemy, then there would be a basis for real mutual action without having to, uh, soft pedal their doctrines or or you know or because you get these interfaith events they're so exhausting everybody gets together well here is here is uh, uh imam so-and-so of such a such a mosque and here's rabbi so- and so and here's you know father for so- and so from for the diocese and they get together and they all you know, they smile and they talk to each other and they shake hands and it's just it's exhausting because nothing has happened I think there's
0: no. no mutual kind of
1: a, uh, no. The, I mean, I mean, action look, together. What, and one of the things, going back to my UFO book, one of the things that I wish the religions would understand in common is that there's a huge push uh, from uh, governments, from the corporate world, from the military, from the in- intelligence community uh, to purvey the myth that we were not created by God. We were created by the UFO aliens, by genetic engineering. We're, we are their lab rats. And, you know, there are people, this is something that the polls asking about religion don't ask. I wish they would ask, um, what's What's more likely? We've created by God, whatever that is, or could we have been created by aliens through genetic engineering? I would like to see, how that plays out in numbers, because there might be a lot of people who sort of believe in God, but saying, "But but how the hell did he do it?" You know, he had to have had. So maybe he hired the aliens to 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 concoct us in a test tube or something. Who knows what people actually believe nowadays? But the, no, it's a
0: great question. You talk about postmodernism in this book too, and you can see yeah. that attack on religion has created almost a new character, especially in the West. These kind of Postmodern that don't have an attachment to the ideas where like even the Muslim very, very, very strong gender distinctions in the Islamic world, pretty much yeah. in the traditional Christian world. A lot of that's like that's the that's the vacuum that's being filled without that religion.
1: You see that vacuum, it's terrifying.
0: It's terrifying. Oh, the world. yeah.
1: I mean, I mean, actually, the, the, there's uh, there's a line in the Quran. I, I forget the, ch- the chapter and you know, the surah and verse, but it says, um, you know, and, and 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 Allah created all things in pairs, that hap haply ye might reflect. You know, I mean, what does it mean that all things appear in pairs? Even night and day. You know, m- m- you know, man and woman, night and day. You know, sea and land. I mean, it's it's absolutely everywhere. You, negative charge, positive charge. What does this mean? You know. And essentially, what the Qur'an is saying is only God is one. God is unity. Only God is one. Everything else, if it manifests at all, if it appears at all, appears as two. It appears because polarity is the basis of manifestation. It's like if there's no figure ground, if nothing stands out as a figure from the ground, which is its background, it doesn't appear. It doesn't exist. In Latin, the word exist means to stand forth as be as as real, as as existing. And you know that that, that it's such a basic concept. So the, the, if 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 you don't want to have a gender, you, you essentially don't really want to exist. It's 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 a step toward non-existence. It's like a slow suicide. It's really yeah, it's really
0: amazing. Like just abandoning that. And it's incredible. Like this is like a somewhere on the left, somewhere in the left. That's okay. They can't. You know, woman isn't really a woman. They can't define women. Really scary. Um, there is actually kind of a curious uh, C- Crowley. I'm pretty familiar with Alistair Crowley, but he, I think, was Kumara Swami's wife. One of his wives was Crowley's lover and had his child. Yeah, it's yeah. carried. And Dugan is a Crowley, really kind of like Crowley. He's he's recited some of Crowley's poetry, so I know that he's there. Yeah. That that yeah, religion I, I, I is like the Luciferian in, religion of the globe.
1: Yeah, sorry. I found places in Dugan's books where um, he 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 essentially makes a uh, an overture to perhaps the Satanists, to perhaps the the the, the Frankists uh, among the Saboteins,
0: Jews. Sabbateans, yeah, Sabbateans.
1: And and where, where he where he, he addresses Adam. He says, Arise, Adam. You know, come, you know, this is what the prophets of old said. They said, Arise, Adam. No, they didn't. They said, Arise, Israel. Adam was Israel's enemy.
0: Enemy, right? Adam you know, yeah.
1: and 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 Adam, uh, the the the, the um, in the Kabbalah, the guardian angel or the guardian spirit of Adam was Samael, who is essentially Satan. So you, you you have little you know secret overtures to uh, you know uh, to, to possibly the Jewish Frankists and possibly Satanists, you know, in, in Dugan, you know, a word of the wise and the people who are following him say, Oh, you know, he's talking to us, you know. So. Right.
0: And you make a distinction in your book, at least in the intro, between this view of perennialism and Evola, Bannon. So it kind of puts the context of your this book within present day global religion and philosophy, right?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. So.
0: Well, anything you'd like to add to Charles? Fascinating conversation. Love to well, have I you mean, back.
1: We, I'd love we, to we, talk with you. To talk about the part of the book, which is the antinomianism of Fritz Schoen. We'll just say, antinomianism, what does that mean? <laughs> that means that the higher spiritual caste, the elect, the chosen ones, don't have to obey the law they're beyond the law they're beyond good and evil and schopenhauer didn't actually say he would he or anyone could be beyond good and evil because he very correctly said you know uh to be beyond good and evil is is not to be in a mixture of good and evil to be on to be beyond good and evil is to be, beyond, is to be in the sovereign good because god is beyond good and evil not because He's neither one, but because he's all good and he has no counterpart. He has no shadow. He is absolute good. So this is a wonderful thing to say. But then, you know, in his practice, there are various, you know, he was did not follow the Muslim sharia. Huh? Although he said everybody has to follow it if, if you're going to be a Muslim or a Sufi. He himself uh, really didn't follow it. And he has, you know, there are problems like this which, which have caused a lot of... Um, Disturbance in people who, who were so deeply inspired by his books, and then got to where they saw how he operated and say, "Well, what does this mean?" You know. Uh, so what I'm trying that's the to
0: definition think, of antinomianism, right? Anti-law.
1: Yeah, antinomianism is is you know, nomos is law or norm. You know, you don't have to follow the law because you're it's, this is what what the the, the Gnostics of of uh, late antiquity would say. You know, we 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 since since we have spiritual knowledge we don't have to follow conventional morality okay and that that's you know i mean showing Sh- Sh- not only his nude dance events but he he had four wives which he claimed well well th- th- this is according to the sharia cuz muslims are allowed to have four wives four wives well fine that's correct the problem is some of these women were married to other men at the time that's
0: kind <laughs> of a that's
1: the sharia <laughs> does not look 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 uh, uh very happily, right? About, but but that.
0: what you're saying is that he was selectively implementing the Sharia, right? Yeah, but I mean, I'll I take mean, a little piece he, of you know, that. He, and
1: he thought, he thought he was he thought he was truly the exception, you know, because he was quite impressed with his very impressive intellect and his very impressive spiritual, um, uh, you know, insight, and and, and he just said wow, no one's ever known this this is incredible I must be God knows what I am I must be uh, the great bodhisattva the great uh, the seal of the sages he would call himself oh wow uh, yeah you it called
0: different. it you said he was a great metaphysician like one of oh, the yeah I mean but like,
1: the, 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 but you gotta you gotta see his errors because man he's got he's got a few errors but they're they're very strong they're very powerful you know I'm very very um, very dangerous. Uh, actually, w- what I'm looking for is a willingness on the part of Schoen's followers to say he was not um, he was not um, basically he, he, he could make errors. He was not infallible. Because if you man. say He's not infallible, and yet he was a great metaphysician. Then, beautiful. Then there, there can be real uh, learning can 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 continue to come from him because you can look and you see well. There are the contradictions in his writing, you know. Uh, you, but you can't understand those contradictions until you you really learn his perspective. You 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 have to absorb his wisdom. And then you'll see where he himself contradicts that wisdom, you know, which, which is a very funny, uh, you know, if you're looking for somebody to believe in rather than somebody right. to learn from, right. don't go to Fritz Schoen. Whereas if you're looking for somebody to learn from, you know, uh, he, he will be an amazing resource. So uh, I want to end by, by just uh, uh, reading this half page, which, which. Great. Th- Please do. Th- 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 these are four of the contradictions. And I want to throw this out to people. Who follow shun or or who have been influenced by shun and just say well how do you answer these things you know because i, I maybe i don't understand maybe somebody can enlighten me and saying oh well you see you think this is a problem but really he meant this then i'll say oh i didn't i didn't see it that way well i'm willing to learn but also I'm, I'm not willing to 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 uh pull back my challenges because uh that's how we're going to learn from this guy uh at this point in time so <clears throat> Four contradictions. Contradiction one, in his book, From the Divine to the Human, Shun says, a given religion in reality sums up all religions. All religion is to be found in a given religion because truth is one, thereby clearly rejecting syncretism. This is what I talked about before. Yet in his own practice, he certainly incorporated syncretism, replacing, to take only one example, the Muslim call to prayer, Adhan. With a with a Lakota invocation of Wakantanka. What do you say about this? You know, because that, that that's obviously, you know, not in line with the Sharia, right? <laughs> you don't, you know. And, and and if every religion has everything you need, why do you have to mix them? Okay? Okay, contradiction too. In his book Gnosis Divine Wisdom, he says, one can love something false without love ceasing to be what it is. In other words, it is possible to have a true love for a false object, a demon, for example. Yet elsewhere, he rails against the error of sincerism, which is a wonder... That's a, I love that line, that, that, uh, that turn. He rails against the error of sincerism, which holds that subjective sincerity of feeling and belief can obviate the limitations of an objective error. What do you say about this? I mean, if we're sincere, if we believe you know and if we care and if and if if we see something as beautiful then it is beautiful even if it's really ugly you know <laughs> or if we see it as true it's really true even if it's not true and it's not right you know and 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 so so it's like he's playing both sides here you know you know he he, he himself is not following his own critique of sincerism, as, as i see it contradiction 3 also in gnosis divine wisdom he says in contradiction to every pertinent religion religious teaching i am aware of from any any tradition error error always implies a privation of knowledge privation you know a lack of, of, of imperfection error always implies a privation of knowledge whereas sin does not imply a privation of will yet in his system of the six themes that appears in stations of wisdom his book stations of wisdom he includes purity and spiritual combat as two of the indispensable dimensions of the spiritual life. Purity from sin, combat against sin, both of which undeniably require a strong and dedicated will to resist temptation, a will that will certainly be weakened if temptation triumphs. What do you say about this? I contradict. Yeah, and I contradict each Now, now. You know, uh, as I understand um, traditionalism and, you know, of of Schoen and and, uh, René Guénon, uh, every religion is true in its own terms. Now, uh, that's what I thought I was being taught. But other people talked about, well, really, Schoen would, would damn Christianity with faint praise. He would also damn Islam with faint praise. What he really liked was the Vedanta. But anyway, you know, this, this is his his own his own foibles. Okay, so anyway, Contradiction four first pointed out to me by Rama Kumaraswamy, who's the, the son of uh, Ananda Kendish Kumaraswamy. He became, uh, he was a follower of Shun. He became a traditional Catholic priest. And uh, he was interesting, very interesting guy. He was uh, Mother Teresa's, Cardiologist. Oh, interesting. And, and then he, you know, his his health uh, began to suffer and he, he had bone cancer, which lasted forever, and he would get remissions and he would, would come back. And you know, so he, he figured he could not be a surgeon anymore. So he quit and he retrained as a psychiatrist. And he, uh, um, was ordained as a traditional Catholic priest, and he worked as an exorcist wow. along with Father Malachi Martin wow. in the, the New York area for some time. So interesting guy. So he, uh, this is something that he pointed out to me. He says, look at what Schuon says here. So, so in Stations of Wisdom, the book Stations of Wisdom, Schuon says, orthodoxy is the principle of formal homogeneity proper to any authentically spiritual perspective. It is therefore an indispensable aspect of all genuine spirituality. And that's what I understand perennialism or of the traditionalist school to be based upon is an idea like that. But then, in Logic and Transcendence, another book, he denies the Eucharist, the central orthodox orthodox mystery of Christianity, by saying, quote, If in truth the Eucharistic species have literally become the flesh and blood of Jesus, how much better off are we for this, so to say, magical operation, given that the value of this flesh and this blood lies in its divine content, and that this same content can penetrate the bread and the wine without any transubstantiation. What do you say about this? Now here, you know, I mean, at that point, he's no different from any you know, uh, whether it be Protestant or whether it be atheist, who thinks that what the priest does during mass or, or during the divine liturgy, you know, to to consecrate the bread and wine and, and, and transform them into the body and blood of Christ uh, is all a bunch of hocus pocus. You know, in fact, hocus pocus, uh, you, you may or may not know, is a phrase that was taken from the Latin words of consecration "Hoc est in corpus man this is my body and then the, 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 those who wanted to poke fun at, at, at you know the, this stupid catholic idea that the priest could transform them the uh the, uh, the wine and bread, bread, into bread
0: into the actual blood and body
1: yeah, yeah. So, so 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 they reduced that to hocus pocus which became words used by stage magicians you know so uh you know, which is a, a, a satire. So he, here, he, you know, Shuin is is no, is no different f- from any atheist or or, or anti-Catholic Protestant who, who sneers at the central mystery of of, of the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches. Now, how can you be a traditionalist and do that? You can't. See, right. That's so. the whole
0: center of the Mass, right? That's what the whole. That's why they do the Mass yeah, over yeah, and over that, again. That's
1: what the Mass is yeah. is. That, that, that's all what the mass is leading up to and that's the that's the essence of the mass so he just says you know well you know he, he had his, his brother was a monk a Catholic monk and I think there was some sibling rivalry going on for Maybe. many decades you know? but you so, know so
0: he's not consistent that's really the point so to turn yeah. shown into some all-knowing in you know uh, you somebody you can't criticize is a mistake
1: yeah but that's and and that that means, and if you can't criticize him, you know that then then all you're learning from him stops at one point because because you just you, you you can't even at look at what he says with intelligence, which and criticism put the potential of criticism is one aspect of intelligence. You can't look at what he says intelligently, you've just said, oh, you know you you, you might as well. You know, just to put his books under glass and, and and pray before them instead of reading them. You know, but didn't
0: but didn't in his personal life? Didn't he kind of want that guru status? Oh I mean, yeah, I, yeah so yes he,
1: was, he did. He good. did. He wouldn't be the only one. these I mean, yeah. If you oh. want to know the, the story of Richard of Schoen, go to look up Maud, Maude M a u d e Murray M u r r a y. Who's the last of his of his wives who is alive? Who was cast out at one point but she didn't go along with things at one point, and uh, she's now living in Pakistan. But she's got a uh, website that tells, you know, and, and and she is also struggling with with you know w- w- what a great metaphysician he was, but how, you know, she 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 has now found a different a different Sufi uh, stream and and. Uh, you know
0: i actually came across a video of her when i was doing some background work uh research today so there he is yeah
1: i mean i i i have somewhere oh, she is, I gave it away that was some video i saw years ago when she was quite young when she just when when you know when the scandals had just happened and and, and she was sort of out in the cold you know a, a poor girl having been raised in a cult, and now she didn't know how to balance a checkbook out in the world, you know, that kind of thing. So.
0: And here's Sayed Nossein Nazar, who you mentioned earlier. So
1: these guys, you can
0: kind of see the intellectual environment Sean was in, right, some of these characters. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it, it, Shun brought together an amazing group of people, you know, and and, and his intellectual achievement was mammoth, was amazing. And, you know, and Titus Burkhardt and Martin Lings and people like that are, are, are you know, um, almost of the same stature. And, and to, say to say, Nasser who's also doing wonderful work. But um, he, he wasn't infallible. That's all mm-hmm. I want to establish. You know, um, I, I hate to quote s- somebody from the Gurdjieff tradition because I don't you know, there are a lot of problems with Gurdjieff. You know.
0: Yeah, we can criticize him
1: all day. <laughs> yeah, but there's one. There's one of his followers, J.G. Bennett, who said a very good thing, which he says when, when a guru, you know, a spiritual leader passes on, his um, followers divide into three groups. The first group are, are those who who are just waiting for the old goat to kick the buckets so they could go off and do whatever they wanted the the, the second group are, are, are those you know who are the true believers who who preserve every word and every you know aspect of of, of the teacher's you know life even his most you know accidental and surface aspects you know they will you know, put his eyeglasses and his dentures under glass, you know, and right. venerate them in this, right. you know. And then there are, there's a group that Bennett called the near heretics. He said the near heretics are those who really carry on the master's teacher, who, who, who don't fall in, 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 into the camp of the rebels who, who, who you know, who, who totally reject him and don't fall into the camp of the true believers who venerate him to the point where they can no longer learn from him? So, so I, I would I would hope that I would be in the third category. So.
0: It's, I think so. I think after reading your book, you ta- I mean, you spend a very uh, solid amount of that book criticizing and analyzing and comparing and saying what you liked and what you didn't. So,
1: yeah, it seems and like not, you didn't so, get I mean, that. I, there, uh, there are there are people. I mean, I found a group. Uh, there's a WhatsApp group called Spiritual Lessons. And these are a lot of these people, they're pretty much followers of Schoen. Uh, I don't know if they're all initiates in, in his Mari Mia but, you know, Schoen and, and you know, that stream of traditionalism, uh, uh, certainly they're, uh, are, 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 you know, the basis of what they're doing, except they become a lot more Muslim than he was, which is, you know, we, we can thank Sayyidina Nasser and Martin Lings for, you know, re-Islamicizing his Sufi orders insofar as they could, uh, but you know, I I, I said a, one of these contradictions to them and said, "What do you think about this?" And and the leader of the group, Hassan Juan, said, "You know, I've had problems with this myself. I, I think your point is well taken." So I'm to so realize, hey, there are a lot of people who are still following Shuan, but don't consider him to be infallible, and so this is is hopeful, you know.
0: Charles, always great to talk with you. Is there anything you'd like to add? I mean, you kind of went through the kind of four contradictions that he had. Anything you like that? Your website is still the same one from our last discussion. It's, yeah, it's the same one. It's so, Charles Dash Upton.
1: Yeah, my <clears throat> my web mistress said she can't do it anymore, so I'm going to figure out how, how to how to put, post things myself. You know, so it, it may take a while, but it's still there. So it's still there.
0: So if anybody has any questions or anything. They can reach out to you there, right? That's the idea, yes,
1: Perfect yes. One. And and I just want to say, um, at, at the beginning of, of my book, which is um, the way forward for perennialism after the antinomianism of Fritz Schoen, uh, my publisher James Wetmore put a little note where he said this is the first in what he wanted to call the Logos series. Uh, so he imagines. If enough people who are interested in these issues and, and know about Schoen and have opinions on Schoen, um, would like to get back and criticize positively or negatively anything in my book, and actually negative criticism would be more fruitful, and I want to just saying, ooh, it's ooh, ooh, I liked it. You know, I, I want want somebody to say, I don't think you're I think you missed this point, right? Because out out of that something fruitful can come. Uh, so he says if 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 he, if I, and he, and, and or he receive enough material of good enough quality, um, you know, critical of my book, that he's willing to publish another book. Interesting. So, um, you know, you've so,
0: published all under the name of the perennial name,
1: right, Sophia? Per- per- well, per- so, right? So, you know, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I wanted to get to bigger presses, but then. You know, I looked around and, and you know, and, and you, see, you, you need a literary agent. And then I discovered that in order to get a literary agent, you need a literary agent. You know, right, right. I mean, if you don't have a, a bunch of money to, to, to put up up front, you're not going to get very far. So I pretty much stayed with James Wetmore. although if any large press, you know, with a mass audience wants to publish me. Oh, yeah. Get, connect. Connect with me.
0: Yeah. Now, Charles-Upton.com. Yeah. You check it out.
1: Now I, I'm, I'm getting a lot more uh, you know offers of interviews that there's a couple of of Muslim comedians uh, if I, I'm not going to give their names because I'll get them wrong but they're Muslim they're they're you know um, uh, they're Arabs but they're you know they're Americanized they're living in this country they're comedians and they want to interview and I don't know what the hell they're going to do there they say once we interview you we'll we'll you know, you have to let us do a, a lot of heavy editing. So they'll take little, you know, passages or little little routines for me and stick them up God knows where. You know, so I'm, I'm in look. other words, people, you know, I, I'm now coming out for some reason. Well, the, so, I
0: mean, your book, I mean, The Alien Disclosure Deception was excellent. I highly recommend that book. I think you solidified, in my mind, the UFOs are the same as. The old kind of you know uh, demonic, yeah uh, events. The gym guess, and the,
1: yeah. The, fa- the fairy folk, same, right, right. The
0: same as those, just in some other variants. And it's out today. I'm looking at all of these stuff on Twitter today. These same characters are out there. Elizondo Lazar. So these kind of UFO
1: discussions are still. Oh yeah, what's well, uh, it's getting bigger. I mean, I yeah, it's it, getting bigger. You're right. It it it. What's wonderful about it is it is it helps us forget about the Ukraine. Anything to forget go. about the Ukraine. You know, let's forget about yeah, Trump, working. abortion, UFOs.
0: All so. right. So, I mean, I highly recommend that book. I know that um, Jason, uh, what was the, uh, Jason, first, first. Horsley, mentioned you a lot. He quotes The System of Antichrist in one of his other books. So that's kind of one of the reasons why I reached out to you originally. But uh, I will not edit this. So I'll leave this whole thing here. The, edit, the okay. audio will stay the same. And uh, it's great to talk to you. So knowledgeable. Know this you. book really reflects years. I mean, I don't think you, I give you credit for accruing a lot of that information. I really had to stop and kind of look up terms. Yeah, and, I've
1: been writing that for years now. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it just, there, there was no context in, in which to, to say that stuff. Because in earlier years, if you criticized Schoen, you would be typed as a detractor and an enemy, you know? And so I says I don't I, you know I, I'm I'm going to hang in there. I don't want to do something so 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 I'm going to be you know you know kicked kicked out of the fold. So I'm just going to hang in until the time comes when it's ripe for for, for criticizing Shuen w- without just uh, panning him. You know. So that that time has finally come. I think. Oh, there's going to be there's going to be a um, conference at Notre Dame University in Indiana in October on perennialism, um, and whether perennialism is still relevant, which is very, so you'll have, you'll have definitely people identified with perennialism, sh- followers of Schoen, Sayed Jose Nazar, uh, Reza Shaka Harry Harry Meadow, and then you have uh, other academics who are going to say, ah, you know, perennialism has shot its wad, it's not relevant anymore, and, 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 so this could be very interesting. So, um, and so, you, do you remember I, the name of it? It's at what school again? Did you say it's in Notre Dame University? Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be speaking there uh, through Zoom. Some people are, are zooming, some people are coming in on airplanes, uh, so there will be some live stuff, and that's in September, right? Oh, uh, it's in October. October, sorry. So, you know, look, look for it. I, I wish, wish I had the URL for it, but you know, look for it, you'll find it cool
0: and if you if you want to send me that link i can put it in the show notes once this.
1: yeah I, I will look it up and i'll send it to you awesome
0: well we're at 90 minutes i got to run out again title of this book is the way forward for perennialism after the antinomianism of frith joff shown and the author again is charles upton just published june 21st 2022 so thanks so much for your time charles glad glad to be back all right cool take care all right stay there